We've done a lot of talking about prayer for the last few weeks. Hopefully we've learned some things about the reason we pray and the content and the posture of our prayers. And when you were in school, um, did you ever have a subject or courses that required a lab? Well, I did. There was chemistry lab and physics lab and biology lab and French lab. And you had the textbook for the classroom, but then you had a lab book. And that was where you made application to all of the things that you had been learning in the classroom. We'd go to class, spend time and information, and then spend an appropriate amount of time in the lab just seeing how it worked and how one might apply the information or implement the information. Well, it's kind of time for us to do that, to have a prayer lab, but you will do this on your own. I just want to talk about it today. But some of the information that we've gathered on prayer needs to be pulled together so that we can begin to apply it. Now, I don't mean to imply that we do not pray already or that we've not been praying, but I hope we're going to pray with new understanding and new depth so that we can see more and more of effective, fervent prayer coming from God's people as a result of our study. We learn to pray by praying. Um, when I was uh, small, um, my brother was afraid of water and we were having a discussion one day about him learning to swim and he said, oh, I know how to swim. Oh, really? I know how to swim, I just can't do it. Well, we wanna know how to pray, but we wanna be able to do it. And so we want to be able to apply this. And so we learn to pray by praying, just like you learn to drive by driving. These things take experience. We become better prayers by applying truths that God shows us from his word. And we also learn by the examples of other godly people whom we see pray, whom we've heard pray, whom we see get answers to their prayers. And so God sometimes puts godly people in our lives to teach us things. Well, prayer can be taught. We know that because the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, and he did. So prayer can be taught. Well, if it can be taught, then that tells us that it can also be learned. So hopefully, in this lesson today, we can pull together some of the things we've talked about and we can review and summarize them a bit and then apply them in a meaningful way. We need an immediate grasp. It needs to be able to come right off the top of your head, the basics from God's word so that we can pray effectively and see God answer our prayers. We know that God wants us to pray. We've spent a good bit of time talking about that. God wants us to pray. It's his will for us to pray. So then it is his will that we would know how to pray. So when we are asking God to teach us to pray, we're asking him according to his will. And so we know he's going to do that. First John chapter five, verses 14 and 15 tells us that if we ask anything that is God's will, we can know that he will hear and answer our prayer. 
Since he wants us to pray, we know we're asking for God's will. So the first thing we each need to do as individuals is ask God to teach us to pray. And then we're going to claim his promise, accept the fact that he keeps his word and he's going to do that. Prayer is not easy. Prayer is not easy. It is a discipline that requires persistence, continuous action. Uh, prayer is not a formula. It is a life, a lifestyle. It's something about who we are when we become children of God. It's not an activity. So much of the time we have treated prayer as if it were something you stop and do. And then later on, you'll start back again to pray again. So it's, it's not an activity. It is a relationship. It is communion with the Almighty God. And so what happens is that in our minds, in our lives, God becomes the focal point. And everything we say, everything we choose to do centers around God as the focal point. It evolves, it works around God as the focal point. And so if He is the focal point of all of our thought processes, then we become involved in unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer. Prayer is described in the Old Testament and even in the book of Revelation as a sweet aroma. It was an incense. The incense that they burned um, was an example of the sweet aroma going up into God's nostrils. And it was constantly there. And so prayer, our prayer today is a sweet aroma to God that always is rising from our innermost being to the very presence of Almighty God. That's prayer. He wants that prayer. So when Paul said, pray without ceasing, it literally means pray without taking an intermission. Pray without intermission. So we're talking about living prayer. We're talking about prayer lives as opposed to prayer lists. And it means to live into Christ and live in Christ and let Christ live in us. And so when that happens, we come to share God's mind so that we're communicating with Him. And He is revealing His mind to us and then we pray in accordance with His mind and, and His will. And so we know that we are totally dependent on Him. We gotta know that. We're totally dependent on Him and we're open to Him. And so when we live that way, we're living in His presence and that is a praying life so that He can commune with us, we can commune with Him, we begin to, I don't know, kind of know each other's thoughts and respond accordingly. And so in that relationship, He is reproducing His heart in us. A whole lot of prayer is about how He changes us in the prayer process. In her book, Live a Praying Life, Jennifer Kennedy Dean says this, the key to powerful praying is learning how to let Him pour His own desires into my heart and make them mine. In every circumstance, the Holy Spirit, who knows the mind of God, will teach us to pray as we ought, will shape our prayers, and will pray through us. Little by little, under His loving tutelage, we will find our prayers reflecting God's will. 
Isn't that God's plan for us that in this life we're going to grow, grow, grow to be more and more like Him, to think more and more like Him, to act more and more like Him? Now, we might assume when we look at this, it would be easy for us to conclude, and I think a message that the enemy want, might want to put in our minds is, you know what, if, that's, if I'm going to do it that way, I've got to quit doing everything else, and that's all I'm going to do. That we would have to overlook the practical demands of everyday living just to focus on prayer. But that's, that's not it. Let me see if we can think about it this way. Um, we are always, 24-7, every moment, involved in thinking and feeling. Something is always in our minds, even when we sleep. Um, so it, it's always there. We're, we've always got thought processes going on. We've always got feelings going on. And so something is always going through our minds. It's just there. The mind is an amazing thing. And so... It functions on many levels. God created it that way. And so your brain can function on all different kinds of levels all at the same time. And it's kind of like multitasking. Our brains multitask. Um, they allow us to think thoughts, but they tell us to breathe. The brain tells us to breathe. It tells, us, tells our heart to beat. It tells nerve cells to respond so that my hand moves. All of that stuff is always going on in the brain. Uh, and, and we kind of get an example of that. We ever driving down the road and you had something on your mind and you continue to drive, but you're so engrossed in that thought that's on your mind that you get to where you were going and didn't really know you were going. Maybe you don't remember passing a certain landmark or whatever. But what's happening in that process, you know, we just motor right on just realizing that I didn't know when I passed Walmart or a certain place because my mind was somewhere else, but my mind was also functioning to drive. Sometimes maybe you're involved in a conversation and you're having that conversation and while you're having a conversation with somebody, your mind is on something else. Maybe you've got an appointment, maybe your mind is on what time it is, um, how much time you need to get to that appointment, but your mind is actually working. It's actually focusing on several different things at one time. So there are all kinds of mental processes going on all the time that we're not aware of. Because the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, because the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers, and the Holy Spirit is always connected to Christ and God the Father. And the Bible says that Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. So the Holy Spirit is involved in that. And so what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is always praying at one of our mental levels, whether we know it or not. It's going on. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so sometimes our prayers are going on and it's kind of unconscious. I mean, the thought is there, the burden is there, but there's praying going on as the Holy Spirit is in us and as He is working, as He is doing His ministry. So we are unceasingly praying sometimes at a level that is not our clearest, highest conscious level. Now, sometimes our prayers are, need to be in our conscious thought. Um, that's where sometimes 
Um, we just need to be intentional about a prayer. That's our highest level of consciousness. And so we've got different levels of praying, don't we? Sometimes those unconscious prayers that the Holy Spirit is performing in us. But then there are times we've got those conscious prayer and, and, and there's still that continuous flow because of the Holy Spirit. But when my heart is submissive to the Lord and I am working with Him to accomplish His will, that's living a praying life. It's going on all the time. But there are those times that we need um, that are necessary when we choose a conscious, intentional prayer time. That time where we just want to get before the Lord and commune with Him. Um, since we are living praying lives, then, then we just are going to want to have a conversation with Him sometimes where I sit down and I focus on Him and I share my heart with Him and I confess my sins and my struggles and I, I tell Him my burdens and I make requests and I ask Him questions. And so that is a time that is set aside when I consciously pray and interact and commune with God the Father. Now, sadly, a lot of people think that prayer is what you do when there's nothing else left to do but pray. Um, we tend to approach life like that, where we work and work and work, and we do all we know to do. And then when we get that done, we pray and ask God to bless what we did. Well, prayer needs to be the first thing we do. The first thing we do, because what are we going to do? We're going to be living prayer. We're going to be constantly praying. God is going to be on our minds 24-7. And so we're not talking about just saying prayers. We're talking about living prayer, and we're talking about communion with God, where we share thoughts, where He truly begins to use my body as His vessel for taking His work into the world. So we need to understand that it takes a great, greater spiritual life to pray than it does to work. Did you hear that? It takes a greater spiritual life to pray than it does to work. You see, the flesh can be very active for God. The flesh knows how to get busy, and the flesh would rather be busy and having meetings and doing things and being moving around in some activity. The flesh would rather do that than pray. And I want to tell you, the enemy would rather the, we would do that than pray. He's going to do whatever he can do to prevent our having a prayer time or having a praying life. So prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. And so we've got to stop putting value where God puts least value. Prayer's got to be the, the foundation of everything, especially our lives and His work because we're His people. Paul described Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12 as laboring fervently in prayer. Prayer can be really hard work and it can drain you. When you're in that posture of pouring your heart out to the Lord, you've got an extended period of time to do that and you're not going to let up 
until you get an answer. So we cannot think that we can wait until we feel like praying to pray. Or we cannot think that we've got to have some kind of an impulse to pray before we pray. Prayer is a discipline. It is a choice of the will. It is something we're going to choose to do. Listen, prayer is not an ought to. It is a get to. I get to pray. I want to pray. It's not just something on a list of spiritual activity that I need to check off for my day. God's not impressed with that. So when I get ready to have a prayer time, um, either alone or with other prayers, whenever we've got that time, then what do I need to know? What are the things that need to just be on the tip of my mind that I can relate to? And, and I'm going to begin by knowing this is communion with the Father. And if you're praying with other people, it can be deep communion with those people as well. It's precious time. But when, when we get to that place, what do we need to know? What what just needs to be spontaneous in our minds. First thing is I need to know that I am God's child. I need to know that I'm God's child, that, I am been, that I've been saved, that I'm in God's family. You know, when Jesus gave us the model prayer, he said, when you pray, pray this way. Begin like this, our Father, our Father. So a praying life is for children of God. It's for God's family. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that God never answers the prayer of an unsaved person. I'm just not there. And I'm not willing to make that blanket statement. But I'm going to tell you, in my mind, kind of what it's like. Let's say that I'm a young person, that I'm a child, and I need help with um, buying a car or buying food. And I can go to my parents and ask for help, or I can go to a neighbor that I don't know very well and ask for help. Where do you think I'm going to get the most results? From my loving parents, right? And so if I'm not a child of God, that doesn't mean I can't go to God, but it does mean that he doesn't have the same um, responsibility for me, if I'm not his child, as he does for his own children. So I think unsafe people can pray. Certainly we know that they can pray the prayer of salvation and God may work in some of those prayers to, to show them himself. It is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. So I'm, I'm not ready to say that saved people cannot pray, but I am ready to tell you that the biggest prayers, the best prayers are going to come from God's children. And that father-child relationship that is wholesome, that is healthy, that is respectful, and where we're living according to God's plan for us. I need to know that I'm God's child. Secondly, I need to deal with confession and repentance of any known sin in my life. Psalm 68, 18 is a haunting verse for me. Psalm 66, 18. King James Version translates it this way. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
The New International Version translates it this way. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Cherished sin. What is that? It means that I have a sin that I'm not willing to part with. It means that I have a pet sin. Something that I really like and I know it's sin. Maybe the Lord has convicted me of it. I know it, but I make excuses for it. And I try to cover it up. And, and maybe I say all kinds of things. Well, nobody knows this but you. This is just me. This, this brings me pleasure. This helps me. And so what's happening is I am diminishing what God says about sin. Well, what happens then? Then I'm not living in accordance with God's plan and God's will for me. I've lost that communion because I'm choosing that cherished sin, that pet sin that, oh, I just really want to keep. Lord, I wish you'd just let me hold on to this. I don't know what it is. don't know what it could be. Um, I don't know. But the Lord will show you if, if you've got that. But in your prayer life, if you want a a powerful prayer life, you're going to have to deal with that. You may have to ask God to help you hate it, to help you get rid of it, to help you not want to do it, to show you that sin the way he sees it. You may have to do that, but it's going to affect the power of your prayer life. And then for number three, I put, once I've dealt with my sin, then I can worship. Um, there's going to be a beginning time. I'm going to enter his courts with praise. And so I'm going to enter his presence with a time of praise and worship. I'm going to take time to adore him, to delight in him. How do I do that? I recall who he is. I recall what he's done, what he's like. I recall what he's done in general throughout history, but I can also recall what he's done for me, what I've seen him do in my life, prayers that he's already answered so I can make it very personal. It's a time of adoration where I just tell him I know who he is and I recognize it. And I want you to understand that these things are not in any particular order. Now, I said deal with sin is number two and worship is number three, but sometimes worship will reveal to you your sin. So you're just gonna have to follow your heart. There's no specific order with all of this. We go into his presence, focusing on the Lord, yielding our hearts to him, and then we follow our hearts in faith. Um, Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Now be still, literal translation is stop striving. Stop striving, sit before me, and know that I am God. So we can begin in this time with the Lord by settling our hearts and spending time considering what God is like, what are His ways, what is His character. And so we can meditate, we can take God's word with us to that time of prayer, and we meditate on all kinds of scripture that describes him, that reminds us of who he is and what he has done, what he wants to do, what his plan is, that he has come to save the world, that he loves the world. So we're gonna settle down and do that, and then we're gonna focus on him and him alone. He is the center 
We're going to center on him and then we're going to bow before him. And when that is taking place, that is worship. Worship is bowing before the Lord. It's bowing before the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, God says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The summary of that, I think, is God says, you know what? You stop focusing on me and you've decided you can do it yourself. But the first, the whole entrance thing here, the, what we have to do with entering God's presence with prayer is right here when he says, my people have forsaken me. So we're going to have to take that time to focus on him, to realize his personhood, to realize that we have a relationship, that we're together, that we're communing. He says, they have forsaken me. Look, he doesn't say they've forsaken praying or they've forsaken going to church or they've forsaken activities. He doesn't say that. He says, they have forsaken me. So how is he revealed in us? By our focus on him, by our prayer to him, so that he is always central and has his proper place. Same kind of thing happens uh, I think there's a, a parallel teaching in Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42. Here Jesus was at the home of Mary and Martha and the home of, they were sisters to Lazarus and Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had been made, had to be made. She was in the kitchen cooking, okay? And all this had to be done. These preparations had to take place. My goodness, they had Jesus, their best friend in the house and she wanted it to be good, and so she's busy, and she's working while her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. So Martha goes in there, and she complains to the Lord about it, and says, basically, tell her to help me. And what did Jesus say? Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but really only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. What was better? Sitting at Jesus' feet was better than being up and working, than activity. Now, there's a place for both. But sitting at Jesus' feet takes priority. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Don't you love the letters to the seven churches? Oh, what all there is to learn in that. This letter in Revelation chapter 2 at the beginning of the chapter is the letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a busy church. They were always doing things and they were doing a lot of right things. They were doing things. They were, I guess today they'd be having meetings and conferences and, and you know, doing phone calls and visiting and doing all of that stuff. And God said to the church at Ephesus, I hold this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You've abandoned me. You have forsaken me. Where am I in this picture? So God's calling us to that kind of relationship. That's what prayer is. And so in my prayer time, I'm going to position my heart in worship before the Lord, knowing that I can only come before God by the blood of Jesus. 
That's the only way I can get there. That's the only way. It was the blood of Jesus, the splitting of the veil in the temple that opened the way for us to go into the presence of God. And the only authority I have to be there is the name of Jesus. It's my relationship to him. So I'm going to remember in that time of worship what lets me get there in the first place, what opened the door for me. And I'm going to be grateful for that. Then I think a good thing to do is to ask him to tell us what to pray. You know, we're going to ask him to control us by his Holy Spirit, and we're going to receive that by faith and thank him. So once I've confessed my sin, I've worshiped, then I open my heart to him and I'm going to say to him, Talk, tell me what you want me to pray. What's open here? Control me by your spirit. Let your spirit put in my mind and in my mouth what you're wanting to hear to say back to me. And by faith, whatever comes to my mind, that's what I'm going to take. That's what it's going to be. And then I'm going to thank him that he has spoken to me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says, We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us. So the Holy Spirit is, is the one that's got to direct and energize our prayers. So early on, when, I, when we start a prayer time, we want to bring him into the picture. We want to acknowledge him and submit and ask him to take control. Then we're going to ask God to share with us the burden of his heart. God, what are you burdened about today? What's on your mind? What, do you, what would you have me pray? And so God's going to start to impress on your mind and hearts things and people that you may not have thought about in years. It may well, though, be somebody you encountered earlier in that day or the day before. But God is going to give us intercession assignments. And they need to be according to His heart. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about when I'm just going to tell him about my heart. But first of all, I need to hear his heart. And so what's going to begin to happen is you're going to have God begin to impress on your heart a burden. You're going to feel a burden of intercession for some. Other people you may need to pray for, but you don't have that burden of intercession. It's not like an assignment. You may be be one who participates in praying for them, but they're not your prayer burden. They're not the assignment that has been given to you by God. And so if he burdens you with intense intercession for somebody, you're going to know it. You will know it. And otherwise, you know, we may just mention things to the Lord. Those prayers count too. Certainly they count, but sometimes God will give you a prayer assignment. You know, there's some prayers that are kind of quick prayers where you just say, here he is, Jesus. You may just say the name Jesus when a thought comes to your mind. But what is that? It's focusing on God. It's God being the focal point of your thought. And that's where you go when God brings something to your mind. But then there are those times that are going to be long prayers. And it's just a conscious placing somebody before the Lord, either in a quick prayer, but if it's in an intercession assignment, you're going to spend some time with that. You're going to want to. And you're going to hold it before the Lord. Some needs are going to just find a place in your heart and stay. It's going to be um, 
I don't mean burdened by being weighed down, but it's going to be a care, a concern that's just with you, that you hold there all the time. And, and it's a good thing the Holy Spirit is praying through us in one of those brain levels because He's going to help carry that so that it's continually held before the Lord. And then there are going to be those times when it comes to us consciously and we're going to say it out loud. We're going to participate with that, with our conscious minds in our mouths. And we're going to continue to pray for those things until the Lord removes the burden. Until the Lord removes the burden. You know, sometimes kind of what happens is maybe you've been burdened about something and you've been carrying this person before the Lord, maybe for a time. And then all of a sudden you're going to realize one day, hmm, I haven't thought about them in several days. What's happening? The Lord is removing the burden. I don't have to worry myself and, you know, with trying to remember that he's going to put it there. He's going to put it there. And so as we are open to the Lord and our minds are open to the Lord, then he's going to be able to bring there with our cooperation and our commission permission, whatever is on his heart, what he's calling us to do, what he's calling us to pray. The next thing I jotted down is that in the model prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't teach me to say, give me my food today, but to give us this day our daily bread. It needs to be a habit of our lives to ask God for the supply of our daily needs. It just needs to be something that we do regularly. James 1.17 says, every good gift, or it could say every good thing bestowed, every good thing comes from, and every perfect gift is from uh, above coming down from the Father. So you know what? If you've got anything good, guess where it came from? It came from God. And you may say, well, what about my hard work? Well, God gave you the work. God's been involved. God's going to see to it that that channel of blessing goes straight to you when you're working and depending on Him. When you're bowing before Him and we're praying for those good things, a major, major precept of prayer is asking. James says you have not because you ask not. Now, there's something in our pride and in our culture that says, ooh, we don't need to ask for too much. I need to be able to do some of this stuff for myself. Uh, too many times we try to get our needs met without seeking Him, without asking Him. James 4.1 says that that causes us to end up in quarrels and conflicts. So when we are dependent on Him and our focus is on Him, then that's it. Then I don't have to worry about quarreling and conflicting and and competing with other people for a certain thing. I take it from God. So to try to get our needs met independently of God is to deny that we need Him. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We want to constantly walk in dependence on God. See, that's what messed up in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to do it their way instead of God's way. They established independence from God. And what we have to do in our lives as we come to Him and as we're saved is we go back and we say, I am dependent on you for everything. I'm dependent on you for the next breath, for the next step, 
for the next movement of my hand. He is the one who gives us what we need. And so we don't want to deny that that's the relationship to which he has called us. Isaiah 31.1 says, God says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Now there's a context to that that we don't have time to delve into right now. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. What's he saying? He says those who go to others for help instead of God receive woe. W-O-E, woe. So we don't want to do that. God is the one who is positioned to give us what we need. He has positioned us to depend on him. That's the relationship that he's called us to. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. I just need to read this to you. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man or person who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness. Get that in your mind. Cursed is the person who chooses his own flesh for his strength and who trusts in man rather than in God. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to do that. Maybe we feel insecure in our jobs for some reason. And so we want to know the right people and say the right thing and have the right connections so that we can manipulate our job. God says, uh-uh, don't do that. Look at me. I'm the one. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord our God. So he says, cursed is the man, the person who trusts in mankind, makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Because when I kind of figure out Satan's going to use that to help me think that I can really do this myself, I'll get back with you, God, when I need you. That's what Satan wants you to think. And so he says, that ain't going to work. But then in verses 7 and 8, he says, blessed is the man, blessed is a person who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but his leaves will be green. It will be anxious. It will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. God says, that's where I want you. I want you to be in that place of blessing. Listen, get this down, write it on your walls. Apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. Nothing, nothing. We are to ask for everything. We're to ask for everything. We pray without ceasing because we are continually dependent on Him for everything. That's why we pray without ceasing because I, I need Him for everything. I need Him for the next breath. So there's this continual attitude of prayer going on where God is my focus and we pray are to pray these things for others as well. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, what needs do we see around us? 
you know, a lot of times we see people on the side of the road asking for money, saying that they're homeless, you know, and sometimes the Lord will prompt us to give them something. But you know what we need to give them? We need to pray for them. I'm intrigued with that verse that says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. So the first thing always we need to do for these people is to pray for them. So we need to look around and see what needs do I see around? Not what, my, what are my needs, but what, what are the needs of these other people? We need to be praying for businesses right now because businesses all are needing help, hired help. They're hiring. So we need to pray that God will meet that need. That is a daily need. We need to look all over the world and look at the people who are living in famine and living in persecution, who are having terrible times. We need to pray, give us this day and include them in that prayer. In obedience and faith, we pray. We pray. So it's good sometimes to take a notebook, keep a journal. Sometimes in that prayer time when the Lord puts a thought in your mind, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you'll lose it. You'll think, oh, I won't forget that. Well, yeah, you will. So it's good to just keep a notebook or keep a journal sometimes. And you can even date it and write down what date you prayed for something. And then we're not going to wait and see if God answers or not. We're going to wait and see how He answers because he's there and he's working. Some years ago, we started an intercessory prayer ministry in our church. It was a precious time. We had a designated prayer room. And we had people committed to that ministry. And in the prayer room was a list of names of government leaders and uh, all kinds of people in authority that God says we're to pray for. And all of that was there and handy on a desk. And, you know, there were names of prayer requests in the room. But um, we asked members of the fellowship of the church to sign up for an hour of prayer. There were specific hours. And they had a, a chart that was from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Now, sometimes we do this on Sundays during worship services and whatnot, but you'd sign up for a specific hour of prayer during the week. And when the idea was first brought to the church of would you sign up for an hour of prayer during the week, the first reaction was, an hour? What am I going to do in an hour? How am I going to take up an hour in there alone doing that? I don't know about this, but lots of people signed up. And you know what we found out? What we found out was that an hour was really not enough. And as time went on, then there were some people who would sign up for two consecutive hours. Because when you get into that time with the Lord and you're communing with Him, He's communing with you, there are all of these things to hold before Him. It takes a while. It takes a while. Corey Ten Boom asked an interesting question that is spoken to my heart. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Only you can answer that question. Here's what we know from the beginning of our study. God is waiting for us to pray. God is dependent 
on our asking for him to bring the power of heaven to earth. We're the conduit. That's what he's called us to do. And we're going to watch and see what he does. He will answer. There are different answers to prayer. Sometimes he may say yes. Sometimes he may say no. And sometimes he may say wait. But when we pray, we're going to wait and see how he answers that. Um, in many ways, is I have studied to present these lessons to you. It has been overwhelming. And what's happening to me is the more I study, the more I realize there is to talk about. And I know, you know, that most of us are not going to tolerate going on and on and on and on with the same subject. But in many ways, it has been so stunning and somewhat overwhelming. And and you can look at all of these things we've talked about and think, Lord, this is overwhelming. And just brush it off and go on to living like we did. But we're responsible for what he has shown us. And I want to tell you, this has been convicting for me because I want to confess to you, I ain't there yet. I'm not there yet. So we need to pray for one another. Pray for one another. We need to pursue getting to be better prayers and together. Let's see what God will do. Let's just see what he will do. He's going to grow us. We're going to get better and better at it. But oh, the blessing of being able to look out and know that in a quiet place one time you prayed for a certain thing and then you see it happen. You go, yes, I was a part of that. The Lord let me be a part of that. So let's be sure that we're a child of God, that we are walking in obedience so that prayer does not hinder the power. I'm sorry, so that prayer is not hindered by the power of sin. We want our prayers to be powerful and we don't want disobedience to stand in the way of that. That's what I'm trying to say. We need to be sure that we have a right motive when we're asking. We need to ask God to give us right hearts and right motives. And then we're going to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. The more we are involved in the process, the greater the relationship and the fellowship becomes. Now, one thing we've kind of left out here is, you know, we've talked a lot about getting God's mind and praying back what God wants. And because we're children, sometimes we want to say, well, God, I just need to tell you what I want. And I'm going to tell you what, it's okay to do that. You know, sometimes instead of going through all of this, so because we're constantly praying unceasing prayer, sometimes you're just going to say, God, you know, I, I, I'm having trouble with this. This is what I need for you to do for me. Either change my thought about it or help me here. Get with me on this one. It's okay. It is okay to tell God whatever is on your mind and on your heart. Sometimes it may be a confession. Lord, did you just see that man pull out in front of me? And in that moment, I release it. We can release it to him. 
It's okay to tell him what's on your mind and heart. Just tell him. He already knows it. He wants to know that we know it and that we know that we are totally dependent on him. It's quite a journey. It's a lifelong learning experience. But oh, the joy when we begin to see God move and God get praise and glory and we know that we're a part of His will and that His kingdom attitudes, His kingdom actions are being done on this earth because we've been praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we watch Him move. We watch Him work. It is a huge privilege for me to be taking this journey with you. Let's start praying the way God has taught us to pray. Maybe one day we can get together and talk about what he's been doing. The Lord bless you today and every day.